Okay, so the, the topic of the conference is the order of charity. The order of charity generally involves the supernatural virtue of charity, the theological virtue of charity. It's directly about loving God and our neighbor for God's sake. The political community is not an individual that we love in this way. But the it's relevant to the order of charity for several reasons. I mean, for one obvious reason, charity orders and commands the other virtues, including the virtues of justice and general justice, which concerns the political common good. And also St. Thomas very often uses the political common good as an analog for talking about God as the object of charity. God is our supernatural and natural common good, naturally the common good of the universe, supernaturally the common good of all of those uh, who have beatitude or participating in beatitude or ordered there. And so he, he often discusses one in the light of the other. Um, the political common good is, with the possible exception of Mary, and I don't know how that works, but I think John of St. Thomas claims that uh, the only thing or the only object of love where we can love something greater than ourselves. It's not an individual that we can love more than our own spiritual good, but it is a object of love which is, is stronger and greater than the love that we can have for our own selves. So just as general justice orders the acts of other virtues to the common good, so we've got justice, the common good, charity is like that, but in the supernatural order. It orders all the virtues uh, to God as the source of supernatural goods. So there's be there'll be three points that I'm going to, to stress. Uh, first, it's important to talk about what the political common good is, namely a perfection that belongs to a unity of order. Second, it's important to understand what the political community is. There are a lot of difficulties in the way that we're brought up thinking about this. So we have to think of the political community as a natural or and it's a complete or perfect whole of which its members are parts. So we're all part of some political common good. And then third, we need to understand that it's greater than that of the individual good. That in part explains why we can love it more than ourselves. Now, it includes our good, so we can't, you know, for instance, the typical example given in the Middle Ages, nobody had this notion of free will where you could just will whatever. Wills, there are goods in the world. We have an appetite towards different goods, and goodness explains why we can will something. Um, you know, like the beer, the coffee, the goodness of the coffee explains why I'm willing to drink it now. It's out there in the world, or at least in my mind. Uh, right? Somebody may have played a trick on me and put, I don't know, uh, decaf in here or something. But um, 
it, there's a real good out there that I'm thinking of at any rate. And so some goods are better than we are, namely God, the Virgin Mary, St. Peter, St. John the Baptist. We can't love, with the possible exception of Mary, which I don't understand, we can't love those more than ourselves, um, even though they're better than we are. But the goods that we're part of, we can love more than ourselves, okay? So the first point, what is the political common good? And then we'll look at what is the political community. First, what is the political common good? What does it mean to be a good? Something isn't good because we value it. It's the other way around, or it should be. We value things because they are good. There are different kinds of goods. Now, this good, according to Thomas, it has the nature of an end or a final cause. An end is towards which something is directed. He mentioned the example of a rock falling the other day. There's a lot of dispute about how to understand this by contemporary Thomists, even those who believe in Thomas's general account of nature, because we don't believe that there's the earth is the center of the universe, so there's no natural place, so there's different ways of accounting for. Is place relative? Is there, is it a different kind of potency? So I, I don't claim to know how to understand gravity and natural inclination. I do know that rocks tend to drop though. Trees tend to grow. You see it more clearly because living things are more interesting. But generally, Thomas thinks when you have a regularity in nature and change, the change is towards an end. Reaching that end, that's a perfection. You're losing something, you're gaining something. So in some way, it's a perfection. And so this can be a good. It's not always what we call morally good, right? Like, we wouldn't say it's morally good for the rock to fall down. We don't usually say it's morally good for the tree to grow. You know, oh, that tree is in bad shape. It's kind of not doing very well. I don't mean it in the same way that I say, um, you know, uh, I'm in bad shape. I'm not doing very well. I just uh, ran over somebody on my way to the drugstore and uh, didn't tell the police or anybody, right? I'm not doing very well there, but it's related but different meaning. It's species relative to some extent. So, but, but the point is, it's the end of some inclination, some sort of direction. Uh, so when we talk about natural love, this came up yesterday, there's an ambiguity. Sometimes natural can mean as opposed to violent, like a rock moving upwards would be violent because I'm pushing it, I let it go, it moves downwards. Sometimes natural as opposed to rational. So my choosing to pick this up, seeing it as a good, that's a rational movement. Um, although all sorts of natural movements have to go on as well. Okay, sometimes it's as opposed to supernatural. Um, supernatural, in this context, love would be of God as the source of beatitude. Okay, so we've got 
Uh, and also within human beings, we have a kind of animal sensitive love based on sense cognition, right? I love my dog, I love my cat, I love other people. Sometimes they're feelings. We don't really feel acts of the will, but God willing, we have some feelings accompanying them, right? Maybe after like five years of praying, we no longer have those feelings when we pray. Maybe after living with our wife for a year or our husband, we no longer have those same feelings. But God willing, we don't try to get rid of them, and we do what we can. So that's what it means to be a good. So love is used very broadly sometimes as any inclination towards the good or rejoicing in the good. Um, and so it has a wide variety of different meanings when we talk about love. But when we're talking about moral goods, we're talking about goods that are apprehended by reason, kind of perfection. So what is a common good? This again is a difficult term. When we think of something as common, we might just think of it common in that we can predicate it of many people, like you're human, I'm human, okay, so our humanity is common. It's not common that way. You might think of it in that the coffee is a common source that's being distributed to us, okay? It's not common in that way either. The common good, those are called common goods. Thomas talks about them, the relative to distributive justice. Um, the good in this sense is common in the sense that different people share a common goal, common activity. They have something that results from both of their activity. Like in a more limited sense, children are the common good of the natural unity of marriage. Marriage is for, for children primarily. I mean, not every married couple can have children, but if without children, you wouldn't have marriage. So marriage is directed to children. I mean, without some people having children, there'd be no institution of marriage, right? So it's a common good. It's not like, uh, it's not even like the coffee, right? Like I've got this cup, you've got that cup. We don't, God willing, we don't divide up the kids that way. Okay. Um, so it's the good somehow of a whole common activity, like a team. And so what is this whole? It's a unity. It's going to have a unity of order. That's parts working together. What do you need in order? You need parts that are suited to each other. When St. Thomas is talking about a unity of order and it's good, usually he has some notion of hierarchy in mind as well. Uh, there's a lower and a higher. So when he talks about the perfection of the universe, the different mem material members of a species aren't as interesting to him as the number of species, higher and lower. Um, so you've got the distinction of suited parts suited to each other. Activity, it's not just being. Goodness is about activity, doing something. And you have a shared end or goal. Okay, so that's that explains the order of the parts. So the idea of order and having a goal is interdependent. So goodness and order are connected that way. 
Now, the political common good is the highest merely human good. God is a natural good He's, that's higher than us. But there are only three natural human units. There's individuals, families, and political communities. These aren't established by some sort of agreement or compact. You can determine sort of things about the political community with an agreement, or you might not. There's some sort of implied consent just being part of it. But it's not like a contract that you have in business. So the individual has the natural unity. The family, there's a marriage contract, but it's not like a business contract. There's a family and the political community. These have unities of order. Okay. Now, the political common good is a little bit tricky because what is a political unit? Okay. Um, and when Aristotle talks about political science and more clearly in St. Thomas, political thought is the highest practical kind of thought because you're considering not just the common good of one political community or another, but you're considering kind of all people together. Now, it's very tricky thinking about the relative wholes and parts. Aristotle wrote in a very different context from St. Thomas, who writes in a very con different context from ours. I put in your bibliography references to Vittoria, Francisco de Vittoria, who lived in the 16th century. There's a lot of, a lot of these issues he has to deal with because of uh, changes in the nature of uh, government and political communities, okay? Okay. And then, of course, there's a supernatural society, the Catholic Church, more important, directly about God. That's not artificial. It's not like a contract. It's more like the political community, but it's above uh, our human nature. It's not something that we, that comes from us at all. Okay. So that's that first point then. The common good, it's an end or a goal and it's an act involving a unity, a unity of order, okay? And the order is directed to this common good as an end. It has different parts that are suitable to each other, and this suitability is accomplished through the activity of the different parts. So we're not talking about like a parking lot or a thing of coffee or something like that. A lot of confusion over the common good You'll wonder, why are they talking about this? Well, they mean things like, uh, like money or food or even uh, certain kinds of institutions, which are all important and necessary for like, the activity of the common good. But strictly speaking, they aren't the common good that we're talking about. Okay. Now, I'd like to return to this notion of political community. We mentioned it's a natural unit, like the family. It's not something that governments can make up or get rid of or, or completely change. Governments can regulate it, uh, the family, but they can't sort of create new things. They can try, but it doesn't bind anybody. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it's a natural or complete or perfect whole 
of which its members are parts. I say complete and perfect, often in translations of Aristotle. It's translated as complete, but in Latin it's perfectus, and it's translated imperfect. So people will use both. So what is this natural, complete, and perfect, or perfect whole? It's important to recognize the naturalness of the political community. It's not created through agreements or contracts. It's not like a utility company. They've got a service to provide and you pay for it. Right? This is something that McIntyre points out, that uh, people sometimes think of the government as a big utility company. You pay your taxes, you get services. Well, whatever that is, it's not uh, as such. It's not a function of the political community maybe insofar as it's exercising a kind of justice for the common good, but uh, you don't love the utility company more than yourself, or you shouldn't. If you do, there's a problem with you. Actually, Thomas thinks it's impossible, although emotionally you may have, you may have disordered emotions and have more emotional attachment to the political community, but uh, yeah, it'd be nonsensical to love the utility company more than yourself. So what do we mean when we say it's complete? It allows for the full flourishing of human life. A family is not a complete unit. You need families for a lot of the things that the government now attempts to provide, like looking after people, raising people, educating them. So you need families to do these things well and perhaps to do them at all but the family itself is incomplete, right? You might be thinking, okay, no, any questions about um, how Adam and Eve's children reproduced, those are theological, and you can ask uh, Father Reese about that, okay? Right, it started out as two people, uh, but at any rate, philosophy just deals, we've got lots of different people, okay? So different families, not complete uh, by themselves working together. You need somebody that has authority to coerce, to punish, and to uh, not just internal members, but external, right? So like um, you, uh, right? So I, uh, I'm driving around and I run you over and break your leg. So your boyfriend comes after me. Um, he uh, breaks my leg. That's called revenge, okay? Some societies run that way, but no well-functioning ones. Generally, you need a political community, somebody with authority to say, okay, here's the leg breaker. This is his job. He's going to break the legs, okay? <laughs> Now, it may be your boyfriend is the leg breaker, <laughs> but it would be very wrong for him if he did it out for the reason that he was your boyfriend and not for the reason that he was a breaker of legs, okay? <laughs> so, so it involves this use of uh, coercion, right? Force, uh, both against the internal and external enemies. Death, right? Self-defense, when Thomas describes it, he has to describe it as not killing. Why private persons don't have the authority to kill? 
only the political authority does, right? So that's, that, that's a mark of what a political authority is. And it's one way of trying to figure out what is a political community. Victoria has this problem. You know, if you've got something like the Holy Roman Empire, you've got all of these different parts. They seem like different governments. There are some autonomous city-states. There are, uh, you know, a little like principalities. There's a kingdom, maybe two. Or even in Spain, you've got the, what does he say? The Duke of Alba and some other duke by custom have the authority to wage war. Um, so it's, it can be tricky, but there's some common authority to wage war and punish, and also a legal system, laws, magistrates. Those are the marks of a political unit. And that makes it different from a family or when things fall apart, a tribe or a clan, right? A lot of times in our society, the state performs the function of the family, but there are a lot of societies where families perform the function of the states, uh, like uh, of the state, like in uh, Appalachia or something in the old days, right? It's a kind of clan system that takes over. There's a good book by Carl Zimmerman in the bibliography on family and civilization, which discusses the various forms of families in different, different periods. It's interesting. So that's what a political community is. The original title talked about the nation, and that's a very interesting term. Uh, sometimes in, in Latin, it's not very clear. There were, for instance, four nations in Paris. They're like the German and English were together, right? They were one nation. Uh, often, more often, the word gens is used. That's like a people. Translates the Greek ethnos. It's not a family. It's not a tribe or clan. It's something um, in between usually involving a common language, common ancestry. Uh, it's important now, why? Because of its predominance with the rise of the nation state. In countries like England or Spain, or even France eventually in the early modern period, were pretty successful and their borders more or less corresponded to the borders of a nation. Uh, not Italy or Germany or the rest of Europe. Right. It's important to recognize that a nation or a people is not the same as a political community. The Holy Roman Empire included many different groups, Czechs, Germans, Hungarians, different languages, different kinds of people. Um, right. I mean, I think sometimes uh, one nation doesn't have any political community like the, uh, well, the Jews have Israel now, but between the destruction of the, sect of the temple and Israel, there was no Jewish state. Uh, the Irish have a state now, but they didn't. They always kept saying a nation once again. Um, and then, uh, you know, Poles didn't have a state for a while. So, but Jews, Poles, Irish, these are peoples. But it's very vague and it can depend on where you are. When I taught in Las Vegas, there was a student, his last name was something like Valentino or something, and the students were referring to him as an Anglo, 
And I kept thinking, no, I'm an Anglo, at least mostly. He's not an Anglo. And they were looking at me. But what they were doing is there were three groups to them very clearly, Mexican, Anglo, and uh, Anglo, black, or African-American, right? So people that I would separate habitually, they pack together. Uh, but it's not uh, always uh, clear what these are. And then in the 19th century, there was a lot of talk about how nations had rights to self-determination. Woodrow Wilson was into that for everybody but the Germans who lived in, say, other places. But, uh, yeah, it didn't work out that well, but, right, but, but it was in the air. So you find a, a discussion of nations and manuals for philosophy at Catholic seminaries. The word nation is used in the 19th century, early 20th, a lot. But the political community is not a nation, okay? You can have one nation in different political communities. You can have different nations in the same political community, unless you redefine the nation in a big way. Also, it's important to note it's not a nation. It's not a tribe or clan or family. It's not the same as the bureaucratic state. It's very hard to know what the modern government is. With technology, it's become even more and more powerful, but... Since, say, Napoleon spread havoc and disaster everywhere, the, the, there's been this huge government apparatus. And intellectually, the individual was created. And so you've kind of got these two poles, a giant state and an individual. And churches and families kind of disappear a bit. Robert Nisbet in the book in my bibliography talks about that. Um, those are, I mean, Thomas wouldn't think that such individuals exist that have rights that they can kind of trade off and exist apart from communities. But also, uh, he didn't have such a state either to deal with. So it's different. So he doesn't mean like the giant utility company that keeps uh, things going and uh, tells us what to do all the time. That's not what he means by political community or political authority, although there's a close connection in our society. But it need not be that way. Okay. So it's political authority and it rests in some way with the people, right? By nature, there's no real reason to say one person should rule another. So generally you go by custom, right? Whatever uh, society uh, does that kind of seems to work out. We have written constitutions, uh, but you know, a friend of mine who's French, I always make fun of the French, you know, just because they're funny people. But, uh, I, but he's a French lawyer. Well, he's a sculptor now, but he had been a lawyer. <laughs> but I used to explain, you know, well, you know, if you have problems in France, just make another constitution, have another government. You've had so many. And he said, well, in America, you just uh, have completely different versions of the same ones. So, you know, it's not much of a difference, except one's more honest, he thinks. Okay. <laughs> All right. So at any rate, so the political community, we've got a natural whole, some sort of common activity or end. And this end is ultimately going to involve the exercise of virtues, human perfections, right? 
That's what it's for. Not just life, not just keeping us alive, but living well. There's no other reason for exercising force than to help the group as a whole achieve its end or purpose. Otherwise, you've just got individuals making agreements between each other. Okay. And so this common good, which isn't just stuff, but it's the different parts performing their roles properly and performing actions that perfect human nature, this is going to be greater than the individual good, right? Thomas and Aristotle both say this is why politics is higher than, uh, than, than ethics, right? Or the study of the family. Um, I was a little bit nervous. I was talking with Professor Dempsey and I thought, oh crap, he's in politics. He's got me beat. But then he said, no, I'm not in politics. I'm in government. So I thought, <laughs> okay, I just barely dodged that bullet. Okay. Um, no, but politics is the highest practical science, right? And so it's also going to be the highest virtue is going to deal with the, the highest moral virtue is about the political common good. The highest virtue is charity. And there's a big similarity between justice and charity. The political common good is an end of action that also communicates good to actions, right? It's present in our mind, causing the actions. It also helps us to achieve because we're cooperating, participating with others. It's making our actions possible. And then the actions themselves are the good that's achieved. So it's a cause and effect of what we do. General justice is the virtue about this. It commands all the other moral virtues and directs them to this common good. Okay. And it's important to recognize that when we talk about our good, we have to distinguish between our, we'll talk about this uh, tomorrow, between our individual good and our private good. Private good is when we cut it off from somebody else, right? So I got the last cup of coffee, it sucks for you, okay? That's a private good. The uh, individual good is what makes you better, but it's not in distinction or opposed to or against another's good. So it's like if you think of a body, you can talk about the good of the hand or the good of the foot or something. Um, there are however cases with material goods and goods of the body where you have to sacrifice one for the other and destroy its good. Like, uh, you know, somebody is coming after me with a Bowie knife. I put my hand out and he gets my hand and destroys my hand, but I'm still alive, right? Because... The people in the front here, they risk their lives for me and uh, tackle, okay? That is, um, that, that's what's, uh, that's a sacrificing my hand for the head. But with common goods like this, 
where human beings, they're generally shareable in some ways, like knowledge or virtue. Books aren't shareable the same way, but con certainly contemplating the truth is shareable. Okay. Um, you can't always do the same virtue. I mean, the typical example is if everybody's holding the door for everybody else, there's a big line, nobody gets in. But that's not the way it has to be, right? Some people can open the doors, some people can bring the stuff in. Um, and so it's important then that the individual considers and attains his own good only insofar as his good is that of the good of the family and the political community, right? So... You aren't going to be a good person or good as a human being unless you're good as a child or as a mother or as a father. Similarly, you aren't going to be good as a person unless you're somehow good as members of a wider political community. You've got a role or structure to play. If you don't recognize that, then your own good, you might, you might have more stuff, you might eat more, uh, but you're going to be just a defective human being. Bad as a human being. Maybe good as an eater or good as an accumulator of wealth or something like that. Okay. So the common good, then, it's a strange kind of thing because these common goods, or this com the political common good, the good of the universe, even unlike the family, involves the whole person and it's greater than one's own good, right? Its concern is that all of its members live well and are good human beings. Again, this is just at a natural level. Aristotle didn't know about revelation and Thomas separated what we knew through revelation and what we uh, know through, through reason. So the question that he often has to address, and everybody at the time, is nature seems self-directed, but and Aristotle can seem self-directed, but we have to love God more than ourselves. So how does this work? Can we love something more than ourselves? Well, it's first important to recognize charity is distinct from natural love. It's given by God. And its object, what it's about, is supernatural beatitude, a sharing in spiritual goods. Okay? But there's this similarity. Um, the, we're parts of the universe. We're all directed to God as our common end. Similarly, we're all directed to some political good as our common end. And because we're parts, we love the whole or we can love the whole more than ourselves. Okay. So if you look, there's a nice passage from this um, quadlibital question, my passage number 12. There's some comments about loving God more than everything else and natural inclinations. And he says, now we see that every part has a natural inclination to act for the good of the whole, even to its own danger or detriment. We see this, for instance, when a man puts up his hand to protect his head from a sword, since the health of the whole body depends upon the head. Hence, it is natural for each part in its own way to love the whole more than itself. Thus, from this natural inclination, 
and from their political virtue, good people risk their lives for the common good. And then he mentions that God is the common good of the whole universe. These are two connections. Now notice it's the good person dying for the political community. There are mercenaries, there are proud people, there are stupid people, right? They might all die for the political community. Just the fact that you're dying for somebody doesn't mean that you love them more than yourself. It might mean that you love uh, their bodies more than your own body. When we think about the order of charity, right? We love God most of all. After God, we love our own spiritual good. Um, however, through charity, we can often prefer our neighbor's bodily good to his own, to our own, right? So, if somebody here, oh, if father gets angry and comes after me with a Bowie knife, um, this young lady here will jump in the way, okay? She doesn't have to do that, but because she's such a holy person, she's willing to do that, and it's very moving. Okay. Now, um, naturally, according to natural virtue, there are extraordinary circumstances where you might do this, but it's much less likely and required. Uh, I have a nice passage, I won't read it out, where Thomas talks about that, giving up your life for your friend. That doesn't mean you love your friend more than yourself, right? Jesus uh, died for us. He doesn't love us as better than he himself God is. Okay? But if you look at this passage 9, um, you can die for your neighbor as an individual, but that doesn't mean you're loving him more than yourself. And then in chapter 10, I have the relevant passages about charity, right? Through natural love, in certain circumstances, you might do it uh, through charity more often, with the order of charity being your neighbor's body before your own spiritual good. But the political community, because it's a common good that's greater than the good of any of the parts, this is the one good that we can love more than ourselves. The one natural good, okay? You have, of course, um, spiritual goods, God, and then there's also a community more important than the political community, namely the Catholic Church, right? And there's not even a proportion. So, or like the least supernatural act is going to be worth more than all of the merely natural acts thrown together. Um, but that doesn't mean we can ignore the natural order or set it aside. And we see an example of this in Thomas's accounts of charity, where he doesn't just emphasize the superiority of charity, but he emphasizes its similarity, okay? Similarity to the political good. Now, this is another wrinkle in that last quote. I've emphasized the importance of thinking about nature and talking about human nature apart from revelation. Thomas thinks that because th this is called integral nature, if we weren't broken up from original sin, right? Why are most human beings failure, unlike, failures unlike members of every other species, right? Part of it is because of the extra help we need to attain our supernatural end. 
but part of it is due to original sin. And it's just a fact that because of original sin, we don't love any good more than ourselves. So if our nature were healthy, we not only would have our general pre-rational or you know, our sort of uh, like all bodies of the fact that we fall down when someone drops us, that in natural inclinations directed to the good of the universe, okay? But our, our willing, we'd actually be able to choose and will God's good more than ourselves. Not as an act of charity, okay? But as an act of love for God as the source of natural goods. And we, we'd be able to do and recognize the corresponding virtue and just purely natural virtue. Unfortunately, uh, on Thomas's account, not in that of other Catholic theological traditions like Scotism or most Jesuits, but on Thomism, and I think the view of Augustine and Thomas and correctly, um, original sin just makes it uh, impossible. So that's why we need not just grace to elevate us, but to heal heal our nature, and you'll see that in page 383. In the state of uncorrupted nature, man referred his love for himself, and similarly his love for all other things to the love of God as his end. And in this sense, he loved God more than himself and loved him above all things. By contrast, in the state of corrupted nature, a man falls short of this, as far as the rational will's desire is concerned, since because of the corruption of the nature, the rational will pursues its own private good, unless it is healed by God's grace. Okay. Not its individual good, right? not its proper good, but its private good. So we are more messed up than the rest of creation. But at any rate, to end it on a positive note, so the political common good, first, all virtues commanded by charity. Uh, if we have charity, it commands all the virtues and directs them to a supernatural end. And justice is the principal moral virtue. So charity is going to command and direct justice. But secondly, there's another connection with the order of charity. By justice, we can love the common good more than our own good, the common good of the political community. Through charity, we love God as the source of supernatural goods more than ourselves. And the way to think about this more widely, not just the political good, is to think about the universe and the common good of the universe. And there's an order among the parts, like in the political common good, and there's an external good, namely God. And that will be tomorrow morning, so you'll have to stay tuned. Th thank you.